Welcome to Utopian Horizons. Hello and welcome to Utopian Horizons, a podcast where I cover a different utopia, dystopia, utopian thinker or movement in each episode. This is not the episode I originally had planned to release at this point. I'd actually already um, recorded uh, an interview a couple of weeks ago uh, and I went to edit it and the audio was um, all screwed up and pretty much unusable. So unfortunately... I have to to re-record that interview, uh, do all that again. So, yeah, that's annoying. But um, I guess technical problems happen sometimes. So instead, I thought I'd take this opportunity to jump back in on Economic Science Fictions, which is um, a book you would already know if you had the introduction episode, a book I'm I'm planning to work my way through chapter by chapter. It's a collection of um, essays, it's drawing some lines between science fiction and economics and looking at um, relevant to our purposes, some some uh, utopian potentials there and using it, kind of using the idea is that it's using science fiction to uh, revitalize economic thinking. Um, so I've already done an episode on the introduction, which you, you can find in the feed. This episode will be on uh, chapter one and then I'm going to follow up with the second chapter on the Patreon feed, and then I'm going to keep alternating between the the two feeds. So if you want to follow up on this afterwards, then patreon.com slash utopian horizons is where you can sign up to get um, access to bonus episodes and you'll be able to follow this along. There's already, I'm already sort of doing a a similar thing on there with Mark Fisher's capitalist realism as well. And uh, yeah, all sorts of other stuff. But anyway, let's get on to to this one. I think this should be a relatively short episode today because this is quite a short chapter. Um, It's called Economics, Science Fiction, History and Comparative Studies. And it's written by Hajun Chang. In many ways, I've found this to be a quite a lot of ways a restatement of stuff that was was in the intro. Um, So it begins off by saying that there should be an interaction between the two fields, economics and science fiction, and that this um, interaction can improve both. Chang then, again, reiterates something from the introduction by saying that, um, well, the the introduction talks about the economy being fundamentally fictional, um, and this this makes a similar argument by saying that the dominant school of economics we have is already science fiction uh, in two senses. So first sense is economists today believe that they are practicing science in a scare quotes. So Chang says that um, David Ricardo, I don't know who that is, sorry, um, talks of iron laws, uh, I would presume he's an economist, obviously, talks of iron laws. um, And and the implication is that economics is like physics or chemistry or, or any other natural science and Chang says that most neoclassical economists are at pains to separate what they call the positive aspect of economics, which they say involves no value judgment from the normative one, which does involve a value judgment. They say they practice the positive aspect and therefore they are scientists, econ- economists and scientists. Of course, this is fundamentally linked to neoliberalism and its ideology 
the idea that economic decisions have no ideological uh, underpinning. They're just kind of a, a manifestation of natural physical laws um, and therefore just a kind of a natural part of reality that cannot be challenged by by definition. Um, like, uh, gravity <laughs> does not gravity does, does not have an ideological underpinning gravity just exists and we just accept that gravity exists and we have to um deal with the reality that gravity exists and and uh neoliberals and neoclassical economists would like that also to be the case with economic policy that we just accept it as a reality that can't be changed that's very beneficial for them that allows them to maintain the order as it is but anyway um so chang um, says that economists they know that economics is not like physics um some he says that some say they have physics envy but nevertheless he says that they are very cocky about the scientific progress they've made and he gives the example of robert lucas who in 2003 declared that economists have solved the problem of depression prevention um and that was Obviously, a few a few years before, we had the um, biggest depression since the Great Depression in 1929. So that's the the, the first sense in which um, economics is is a science fiction. The second sense is that, uh, according to Chang, is that economists believe, at least implicitly, that progress um, via science and technology is going to or can solve virtually all economic problems. So they, you know, free market economists think that you just kind of need to, to find the right incentives and then people will just come up with a solution for the economic problems caused by climate change or water shortages or, or whatever. So Chang says that the view that uh, economics is a science and does not involve ethical or political judgments is wrong. Fairly un- uncontroversial point for for me, and I suspect all of you listening. Um, and he says it's not that all government regulations um, are often based on ethical or political considerations, but that the very definition of economic actors and markets have ethical and political foundations. He says before the rise of capitalism people didn't exist as free contracting individuals but members of community uh, another example he gives uh, he says the, the idea that we may see the corporation as a separate legal entity from its shareholders we might see that as a quite a natural concept but he says many people uh, including adam smith um, objected to this idea well into the 19th century so yes markets are un- and markets themselves, he says, are, are not natural, uh, as neoclassical economists believe. He says that markets are fundamentally political and ethical constructs as their boundaries and their legitimate participants are politically and ethically determined. And the example he gives of this is um, child labour. Uh, he says that when, when the first reforms were proposed to regulate child labour, many objected on the grounds that this undermined the foundation of free market economics, which is the freedom of contract. So obviously, children were then excluded from participating in the market. And this is a political and ethical decision that sets these boundaries and and who can and should participate. And this shows you that the market is ethical and political. 
is the argument that he's making here. And if we follow this logic, he says, then if if there are political and ethical constructs, then economic problems will not disappear with progress in science and engineering. He says that science fiction is kind of aware of this. There are lots of science fiction stories where massive technological scientific progress has been made, but it's made people miserable or destroyed their humanity. Um, he, he then says that science fiction could do with a better understanding of economics. First of all, he points to an example of Ward Moore's Bring the Jubilee, which I haven't read, so I can't say much about that, which starts from the premise that the South won the Civil War. Uh, and he's kind of critical of this because he says that contrary to what most people think, the war was more about the country's economic development strategy than the ethical issue of slavery. Um, he gives lots of kind of data and examples of this. I'm not going to re- repeat all that here verbatim, but just to say that he, he's talking about the kind of growth of northern manufacturing industries and how this created a huge economic disparity between the north and the south, kind of reversed the economic disparity to the point where by the time the war started, it, the disparity was so huge that the south could not win. I must say I don't 100%, I kind of agree with the broad point he makes here or or his assertion that science fiction could benefit from understanding economics or employing economics. But I, as you know, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, I'm inherently opposed to the idea of history as inevitability. Um, That's kind of the argument he's making criticizing this novel that there's an inevitability to what would happen so that story doesn't work it's kind of deficient is the argument that he's making um and as i've said before we have to see history as open if we're utopian and if we can believe that we can have some agency to make a positive change and and create a better world um also i just think that like the value of, for example, to give another alternate history novel uh, example, the, the value of the man in the high castle for me is not in any way related to how realistic the scenario of the the Nazis winning the war is. That's not what I can take from that novel. There are other things that are being done with, with that scenario that I think are worthwhile. Science fiction does not always have to... Um, be realistic or like logical scenarios can just be used to explore something else something interesting so I again I kind of agree with the broad point that's being made but I think the example and the way it's framed is not particularly useful uh in, in my opinion um in any case uh Chang says that the, the main beneficiaries of this kind of relationship between science fiction and uh, economists would be economists now, he says that from the beginning, science fiction has been a powerful way to imagine alternative realities, um, the way that technologies have changed our institutions and or, or can change our institution, sorry, and thereby individuals. Uh, this forces us to, to rethink assumptions about institutions and individuals that economists take for granted. And yeah, indeed, that is the, the one of the powers of, of science fiction to be able to offer us that perspective. He says an example of this is is countless dystopias that depict a world where modern institutions are destroyed, that we have a technological 
Regression, such as John Wyndham's Chrysalids, um, Philip Reeves' Mortal Engines, Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. He says, in these alternative worlds, life is harsh because the destruction of institutions bring people closer to self-seeking rashness that depicted in neoclassical economics. Um, I guess he's saying that this shows that that kind of idea as a as a way of organising society is fundamentally bad. But again, this didn't quite strike me as the as the best example because I think the argument they were made is that this is kind of the natural. Like I, I don't think very many of economists would, despite sometimes their explicit um, or their stated um, belief in like complete market dominance over everything, the reality of of neoliberal um, economics is that it uses the power of the the state. Um, so I think I'd be quite happy with the idea that some kind of state force like the police is is needed to mediate kind of the most base uh, elements of humanity that never under, nevertheless kind of expresses a fundamental truth about human nature, which justifies the, the market um, as a as thing of like self-seeking rationality. So again, I kind of see where he's going. I don't know if that's the best example. But anyway, yeah, he says that science fiction is is very often exploring more advanced worlds, more advanced technology, but these fictions don't say that these technologically advanced worlds are are necessarily better. Uh, He says, even when technology is apparently serving humans, we we often see that actually makes them unhappier. So uh, he he gives the example of piano, uh, play a piano by Kurt Vonnegut, a world where kind of advanced production has eliminated the need for work. And the logic should be that people are very happy about this as the idea is that we strive to maximise our income for the benefit of our leisure time. But in reality, people actually feel bored and useless. Um, Again, I'm not sure this is the best example because I feel like when you think about the way these ideologies uh, operate in reality, like these kind of neoclassical economics, the way they think of human nature and so on, I think the idea... The people working a lot is like fundamentally a part of what makes them happy to be human like work is is great and making people work hard is great uh, and so on and so forth i think they'd be on board with that so i don't know this is the, the best example even though I, I see the exact point he's making which is relates to what you said earlier about how um economics assumes technology and scientific progress it, it, it will leads us automatically to a better world whereas science fiction shows us that it doesn't that's the broad point he's making which i think is fine again i just don't think this is the best example um he also points to brave new world which he who he refers to as a, a neuroeconomist's paradise which is a yeah quite nice formulation i think where you know people they've solved the, the depression problem that was mentioned earlier through higher levels of, of demand through the indoctrination of consumerist culture have a high social cohesion through kind of eugenic program and um, everything else that, that builds up the world of brave new world but this is a society that few would want to live in so again this idea that this advanced technology does not automatically produce something better um, so he's saying that these these fictions often show us that being imperfect not being totally predictable, having free will are key features of our humanity. And they're saying that we don't want this kind of perfect scientific 
uh, world. He also says, I'm going to read this whole bit out just because I don't quite understand it. So um, I want to make sure I don't leave any room for misinterpretation. Um, it says, now an interesting extension of the idea that science fiction is a way to imagine another economic world is to say that history is a dystopian science fiction without even memories of advanced technologies. I just don't quite understand that um, sentence, which may just be being be me being stupid. So feel free to email me or tweet me or whatever if that is me being an idiot. I just don't quite get what you're saying there. Um, I think I get what follows, which is presumably which is like elaborating on this. So hopefully not too much lost there. Um, he starts talking about child labor again and how child labor is widespread, but they tended uh, at the onset to do jobs that adults didn't do, such as the examples he gives there, tending the family goat, running errands and so on. But then with the industrial revolution, we had machine-based technology that didn't require the, the muscle power of adults and that made it possible to hire children more widely. Um, however, we, he said that the technology was not productive at that point to afford to take every child out of work in the way that the economy was structured. So he's, his point is that, so he's talking about how technology and institutions kind of shaped things. And he says that because the technology and institutions were different, individuals were different. So I guess he's saying the reverse thing of science fiction looking to the future, right? Technologies and institutions shape people. We can do the same with history. Um, so he says we may have free will, but what we are, what we want, and even what we can imagine is deeply shaped by technology and institutions. He says that uh, he's, doesn't, he doesn't want to be materialist in this. Um, individuals also form technologies and institutions, uh, institutions also affect how technology is used and changed. Um, he says Marxists, for example, argue that capitalists choose certain technology because it gives them the greatest control over their workers rather than because it's the most efficient. So he's saying it's a complex relationship. Um, uh, he says technology may set some ultimate boundaries, but there's a lot of room for diversity in how individuals exercise agency uh, institutions, exercise agency, how institutions are designed, etc., etc. He says, if we understand history in this way, we can see the economic realities not to be outcomes of scientific natural laws, but the results of technological change, institutional change, political decisions, um, influenced by uh, by the um, individual agency, and so on. And he says, historical research becomes similar to writing science fiction. I think this ties back to what I said earlier, and this brings us towards seeing history as contingent. So um, he's saying that we do not see it uh, as a result of history, and we don't see uh, economic realities and scare quotes to be the outcome of natural laws. We see them as a result of these the, the uh, complex relationships of these things like technological change, institutions, um, politics, individual agency etc etc um and so we we therefore must see history contingent which i would argue is the proper utopian way to see it um so yeah he concludes by saying that the existing order is not natural it can be changed it has been changed and only because people dared to imagine a different world and fought for it so yeah that's the end of this chapter um i must say i wasn't uh 
particularly high on this one. I guess it's a kind of quite a broad um, introduction, but yeah, I thought it kind of restated some stuff that was already in the introduction. And, and as I said, I thought some of the examples weren't the best, but um, nevertheless, next chapter looks very interesting. Uh, it's called F Future Incorporated and it's about uh, corporations in science fiction. I haven't read it yet. I've just kind of skimmed it and looked at it referring to stuff like um the space merchants blade runner alien westworld a whole bunch of stuff so it's it's, it's keying in on uh yeah let's look at some of the subtitles here the social fiction of the corporation oh it's got some frederick jameson in there i see i like that it's also by the looks of it um looking at possibility stretching beyond corporations in terms of you know economic alternatives that we can find in fiction, uh, looking at Kim Stanley Robinson's Mars trilogy by the looks of it, looking at worker cooperatives and stuff. So yeah, this looks very interesting. Um, I'm looking forward to getting into that. So that will be that chapter, chapter two, Future Incorporated, will be on the Patreon feed, which as I said, you can find at um, patreon.com slash utopian horizons. Um, any questions, as always, email me on utopianhorizonspod at gmail.com. Tweet me at utopianhorizons. Um, I'll be back on this feed at some point with chapter three. Um, before that, I should have the should have redone that interview that got screwed up and get that episode out for you. So, um, yeah, hopefully that won't be too long either. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll be back soon. Bye-bye.